I want to welcome back our brother Justin, who, uh, Justin, st- stand up for a sec, so everybody can see, you can sit down now, just want everybody to see him. <laughs> Justin uh, moved away for a few months, and he moved back, and um, first of all, I want to thank everybody for helping with the chairs after every meeting, really appreciate that, that everybody grabs a chair and puts them up, and, um, but Justin, I've asked Justin, I was, if he wanted to do that himself, you know, and um, to make a little extra money. I'm going to pay him a little extra money to do that and help him out. He's, he found a new job, though, with a concrete company, which is great. Cool. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for the, the life we feel, the joy we feel, the peace. As Paul said, may the grace of God be multiplied to us in the revelation of Jesus. Grace truly is multiplied. Grace and peace multiplied in us at a growing revelation of Jesus. As we enter deeper into your rest, as we see, as you said, that the joy I give you, no man can take from you. The joy I give you, no man can take from you. The peace I give you is not of this world. It is my peace, and I give it to you. And no man can take my peace from you. With our eyes fixed on you, Lord, with the revelation coming to us by the Holy Spirit of this awesome work of death and resurrection for the whole world, a new beginning, a new creation, sons and daughters of God, born in a day, awesome reality. By that revelation, the Holy Spirit nurtures us and comforts us. For if you are a son or a daughter, you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Because you have believed, simply believed on him, all things are yours. All things are yours. Thank you, Father, for this reality. Help us call others to believe. Help us call others to simply believe what you have already done. In Jesus' name, by your authority, Lord, by the authority of the risen Christ, we speak in the unction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What prompted me to share this this morning was Justin shared with me that he was taking a look at a video that Kevin happened to tape years ago that's on YouTube, I think, um, where I shared some thoughts on how to share the grace of God with unbelievers. In fact, it was that video that brought Jeff and Crystal Fitzgerald to Grace Church. They were looking for a church, and they saw that video, and they heard what we were saying here at Grace Church about the grace of God, and so Jeff and Crystal came um, and they've been here ever since. So it, it's, a, it's a message that's really powerful. And I think it's, it's, it's um, good to repeat some things every now and then. There may be, um, probably is, a lot of people here that were not here that morning when we shared that message. So um, I want to share some thoughts about how, how to share the grace of God with other unbelievers or the, other, or the world where we used to be a part of, the unbelieving we used to be a part of the unbelieving population. 
And I think you'll be really encouraged how the Scripture teaches us to share the grace of God with other people and, and, and see some insights from the Scriptures. I think it'd be really cool. Um, so let's turn to Acts chapter 10, please. Acts chapter 10. And if you have heard this message before, I, I believe you'll probably hear some new things because it always happens, you know, by the Spirit. You hear, I don't know about you guys, but it seems like I can hear a message and then listen to it again and again and again and, and hear something new almost every time. It is, it is something about how it's given in layers. And what happens, you'll hear something on a CD and you'll, you'll, your heart and spirit will lock into that and you'll, you'll be meditating on that as other layers are being given and you'll miss those other layers and then you'll hear the CD again, and then you'll you hear that layer that you've already eaten of. So you just you say, oh, that wasn't that good. And you're, now you're listening to the other layers. It happens like that. So it's actually a CD. You can't listen to it just one time and really get the full content. It's like a box of chocolates. You know, you, you eat one chocolate. You haven't eaten the whole box yet. Something like that. Okay, here we go. Chapter 10 of the book of Acts. First of all, let me say this. The most important thing in sharing the gospel, the good news, or the grace of God with other people, the most important thing is to see people like God sees people. Makes sense? I mean, if, you're, if we're not seeing people as God sees people, then we're not going to be delivering the message in the way that he would want us to deliver it. good example of this is, is real quick, uh, Jonah. You know, God loved Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a Gentile city, huge city, and they hated Israel. Nineveh hated Israel, hated the Jew. They would persecute the Jew and attack the Jew through the centuries. But God loved Nineveh. God loved the people of Nineveh, and he sent Jonah to go and tell them, if they will repent, if they'll just if they'll change their ways, I'll have, I'll have mercy on them, and I won't destroy that city. And, of course, Jonah didn't want to go because he's a Jew. And he's like, I hope you do destroy them. <laughs> and he ran away from God. And, said, and I was, he, hid, he, hid, he did not want to deliver a message that gave them any hope at all. Okay. So here's God's per- perception of Nineveh and Jonah, the prophet's perception. And Jonah didn't like him. So he tried to, you know, you know the story. He tried to run away from God. God, you know, got him, got his attention and sent him to Nineveh eventually. He said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. So here's Jonah Going into Nineveh, now notice the way he presented the message, because you know what you know it's in Jonah's heart toward these people. He doesn't like them. He hopes God destroys them. So he doesn't come in with this hopeful spirit or a nice, gentle message of hope. He goes in there and, and doesn't give them any hope at all. He says, "Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed." God, I can see God going. That's not exactly how I said. To say it. I didn't want you to say it that way. So here's Jonah the prophet, who some scholars say was probably bleached from the, from the whales, the, you know, the acid in that fish. His, his probably white and bleached skin and looked like a ghost probably walking into the city, right? And he's saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Because it was the word of God being sent by God, it carried great power. And even the king humbled himself. The whole city realized this is something unusual. He has no fear. He's walking in the middle of us and telling us we're about to die. 
Okay? But God didn't want him to say it like that. See, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So sometimes we'll have a message from God, but we won't deliver it in the way that God meant it to be delivered. If we don't see people the way God sees people, we can try to tell them about the grace of God in a harsh way, in a judgmental way, in a fearful way. And God is actually saying, that's not exactly how I would have said that. You know? So here's Jonah. You had 40 days and you shall be destroyed. And then he leaves and gets on a high mountain and sits, the scripture says, and waits to see the destruction. He did. Scripture, he's, he can't wait to see the fire fall and then it will be destroyed. Because he didn't give him much hope with that statement. He didn't say, if you repent, God will have mercy. No, none of that. Just a statement of, yet 40 days, you're toast. And so he's on the mountain looking over. God begins to work in their hearts by that word that went through the prophet. And sure enough, the whole city repented. They turned their eyes to, to heaven and said, we have done wrong. Okay. So Jonah's really upset now because there's no fire coming down from heaven. He's upset. And so God, you know, you, you know the story. He has a little plant grow up all of a sudden and give him a little shade because it's hot. And he was so glad to have a little shade. So he had the little shade and he was so thankful for the little shade. And then God had a worm eat the plant. You know, it's so cool how God has not, God's not limited to time. You've seen those time-lapse uh, photography things where they show a flower going... You know, where it's like, where it takes like two days for the bud to open up, but it's like, God can do that. I mean, he's outside of time and space. He can just make a plant grow, make a worm eat it, make it die. And that's what he did. Here's, here's Jonah sitting there and he's so glad he has a shade. And then when the shade is gone, he gets so mad at God and says, why did you have to kill this little plant? It was giving me comfort. And he was so upset that God would kill a plant. God's so smart. God's so smart. He set Jonah up. Here's Jonah all mad because God just destroyed a plant that gave him a little shade. And God says, Jonah, think about this. You're mad because a plant died. You're mad that I killed a plant. But you don't have mercy over the great city of Nineveh. Hundreds of thousands of people. And then he says, and many of them don't know their right hand from the left, which is a reference to children. And then he, in, his, in, his, in his last word was, and, and also many animals. That's the tender mercy of God. And also many animals. And he ends the book of Jonah with that. So I just say that to say that if you don't have God's perspective on people, who people are in his heart, in his eyes, you can even maybe deliver the message, but not deliver it in the right way. Okay, let's look at this in Acts chapter 10. I think it's also very interesting that Jesus used the book of Jonah. He said, he said, no other sign shall be given to the Gentiles but the book of Jonah. No other sign shall be given to the world but the book of, or the Jew but the book of Jonah. Of course, he, part of that sign was the three days and three nights in the, in the belly of the fish. But it's more than that. The book of Jonah is a picture of how the Jew would not understand the mercy of God and not receive their own Messiah and the Gentiles would. The book of Jonah is deeper than just the three nights and three days in the whale. This is the whole book is a, is a commentary on the Jewish mindset and God's mindset. And that's why only a remnant of the Jewish people would believe. But the Gentiles would get this message of grace. See? All right, let's go. 
Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. I can't resist saying this real quick. When you see Luke say a certain man, when he... When, the Luke, when Luke talks about disciples, he always says a certain disciple named so-and-so, which means he's a believer. When he's talking about an unbeliever, he says a certain man, okay? So, so um, in Caesarea, at this point, Cornelius is not a believer yet. So he says a certain man. And I, and I we have this teaching on this, Ananias and Sapphira, and believers get all tripped up over the, the judgment that fell on Ananias and Sapphira. But when Luke talks about Ananias and Sapphira, he said a certain man named Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And there's a whole article on my blog about that, if you want to read it one day. But Ananias and Sapphira were not believers. No judgment will ever fall upon believers. It's impossible. It's impossible. And in that blog, you can read the article, there's like seven things in the passage that prove that they are unbelievers. It's beautiful. But preachers for centuries have taught that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. And you better be careful and give your money or you might, God might strike you dead. It's ridiculous. But I just had to say that. Okay, so when you see Luke say a certain man, he's referring to an unbeliever, just like here. Now, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people. He's, he's Gentile, but he loved the Jewish people. And he prayed to God continually. Now, this is really cool because we talked about this a few Sundays ago, how the end of the 70th week of Daniel... The last seven weeks of Daniel, or, or last seven years of Daniel, the last week, seven years of Daniel, began with the Lord Jesus being inaugurated by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit coming down from heaven and the Father speaking and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's where it began, the last seven years of Daniel, 70 weeks. Three and a half years, he went into his ministry for three and a half years. At the, in the midst of that seven years, he put an end to sacrifice, which was the cross. The last three and a half years were now his apostles, the sons and daughters of the, of, of the Jewish people, speaking forth. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy to you. And they went forth with the Lord, confirming the word with them with signs and wonders. Okay, that last seven years, right? Then Stephen was stoned at the very end of that seven years when he gives a summary of the Jewish people and all their, all their lives, how they have resisted God and not understood God and they missed God. Stephen gave the complete summary before he was killed, the first martyr of the church. Heavens were open. He saw Jesus in his exalted standing before the right hand of God. And then here, here's Stephen with Paul, who's now, who still saw, holding the cloaks of the Pharisees. And so at that point, after Stephen is stoned, it's the end of God's program, if you want to say it that way, to the Jewish people alone of the gospel. As Jesus said, I am sent to the lost, house, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. So for seven years, God came to Israel only and proclaimed this new and living thing that was coming, the new covenant, the Messiah's work, all these things the prophet spoke about, right? But when Stephen died, that ended the 70 weeks. He had done it. He had brought in the new covenant. He had brought in everlasting righteousness. He has, he had, uh, the, the transgression had been ended. Sin had been put away. Iniquity had been reconciled. And he, what he had been, all that had been seen and prophesied by the prophets had been fulfilled. And he, the most holy, not most, not most holy um, place, that's in the italics in the Hebrew, the most holy had been anointed, which is him, himself. For he has been anointed both Lord and Christ, the book of Acts says. He, Lord and Christ, anointed by God himself, the king, Lord of Lord, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, see? So at the end of that, 
we see, now we see in the book of Acts, after Stephen is stoned, we see a, a movement to the Gentiles. The word is going out of the Gentiles. This, first it, it was, uh, Paul was arrested by, by the Lord, arrested, you know, like spiritually arrested, and the Lord revealed himself to Paul. That's, that's what started the whole thing with Paul to go to the Gentiles, right? As the Lord himself said, I send you forth to the Gentiles. Now this is Peter's moment here. This is Peter's moment. Paul, see, everything is switching now. Everything is switching to the Gentiles. They haven't neglected the Jewish people. They're still going to preach to the Jewish people. In fact, Paul had such a burden for his own people. He, sometimes he would go to the synagogues first and reach out to them. But he was, his calling was to the Gentiles. And this was going to be Peter's eye-opener to this new thing that was a shift. The seven years is up. Now God's attention is going to the world. Now there's going to be God's, God's looking at Nineveh, so to speak. He wants to save Nineveh. He wants to save everyone, not just the Jew. Okay, so here's the eye-opening moment in Peter's life as he is, it moved from thinking this is only for the Jewish people, but now it's, it's for the Gentiles also. Okay, so, so there's this man in Caesarea, which is on the coast north of, north of Jerusalem, on the coast of the Mediterranean, and he says, and he prayed to God continually. He was a... a a devout man. And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius. So an angel appears to him. And fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Now, it's interesting that Joppa is where Jonah fled to hide from God. So you see how God is tying this, the Gentile thing with Peter? Peter's in Joppa where Jonah was hiding from God. And so here he goes, verse 6, He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him, to Cornelius, had departed, he summoned two of his servants. This is when the angel departed, then Cornelius summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Okay. Interesting, the angel did not preach the gospel to Cornelius. Men must preach the gospel. The angels cannot preach the gospel. As God has ordained, it must come from men. It must come from his sons and daughters. It must come from those who have the indwelling Christ. Angels can only assist and help maneuver things, but they did not preach to Cornelius, and they cannot preach to Cornelius. Okay. In fact, the angels of Scripture says they long to look into what we have. They don't, they don't really get it in a lot of ways because they, God did not save angels. He chose to save the seed of Abraham, those who would believe. So the angels don't understand grace. They just know judgment. A third of them fell, and they were judged. There was no, there's no redemption for angels. Okay. Verse 9. And on the next day, as they were on their way approaching the city, it took about a day to get down there, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, the ninth hour that, for, that Cornelius had the vision was like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They count from 6 a.m., so it was 3 p.m. when he had the vision up in Caesarea. Now, Peter now at 12 noon is on the top of his house. And I've always said, if I ever build a house, I want to have a place where I can climb some stairs and get on top of my house. I want to have lawn chairs up there and nice landscaping and bushes and be able to look at the stars at night and just, just be able to you know, be above the trees and 
and be able to have a place to, to relax. I would love to have that. One of these days I'm going to do that. The Lord, the Lord willing. You also get a tan up there. Pretty cool. um, okay, let's see. Where was I? Okay. Okay, on verse 9. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That's 12 noon. And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. It's lunchtime. It's time to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. Oh, I love this. I love the mystical part of, of walking with God. I mean, an angel appears to Cornelius. Peter's falling into a trance. There's a vision that Cornelius has. Peter's about to have a vision. This is the way in the age of the Spirit. Your sons shall dream dreams, and your old men shall see visions, or the other way around. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. By the Holy Spirit, there, there's movement by the Spirit of these things. We should not be afraid of this, the mystical, awesome work of the Spirit and giving us visions and dreams and, and going into almost like a trance where we hear God speaking to us. It's, it's not weird. It's God. It's the way the Spirit, God works. It's so cool. Okay. I mean, it can be weird, but when it's weird, it's not God. Okay, verse 11. And he beheld the sky open. Here's Peter in this trance. He's, he's, the Spirit has arrested him, so to speak. He's, fixed, he's, he's got Peter's attention. And he says, And he beheld the sky opened up, and a certain object, like a great sheet, a great white sheet, coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. These animals that he saw on the sheet were the animals listed in the law as being unclean animals that you're not supposed to eat. These are the, the four-footed beast, the creatures, the, uh, the crawling creatures. These are things that are listed in the law as unclean. That you're not supposed to eat these things, okay? So that's why Peter said that. Verse 14, but Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Verse 15, And again a voice came to him a second time. This is powerful, powerful, powerful verse. This is the Lord speaking to Peter. He says in verse 15, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Keep in mind, we're talking about how God sees people his perception, which is the key thing in preaching the gospel or sharing the grace of God. We must have God's view of people. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. Verse 16, and this happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. So three times it came down, and three times God said, what God has cleansed, no longer consider, no longer consider unholy. Three times. Three speaks of emphasis. It also speaks of a revelation. It's, three in the scripture speaks of something very, very important and also tends to speak of something being revealed. Three. When you see three, on the third day they went here, on the third day Jesus rose from the dead, after three days they came here, it seemed, it's, it's a scriptural way of saying this is very important, pay attention, and this is a, a revelation is, is going to be given right here in the passage of something great. Okay, so three times it comes down. And then it says... Let's see. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what this vision which he, had, which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having traveled all night, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. 
So now they're at the tanner's house by the sea where Peter is, where the angel said to go. And calling out, verse 18, calling out, they were asking where the Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. Now they had these gates, these courtyards around their houses. And so they were outside the gate. And so Peter on the roof can hear these strangers saying, is Peter there? Is there a man named Peter there among you? Is Peter there? We're looking for a man named Peter. Peter heard that. He's on the roof. He turns around. Look at this. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. So he heard them calling his name. The Spirit said, Go with them. Look at verse 20. Go. Arise. The Spirit says, Go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings. Don't, don't doubt. Go with them, for I have sent them myself. I love this. It's so cool. It's like a scene in Lord of the Rings. Verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and behold, and said, he said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. He said that because he's Gentile. Well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. See, the angel said, go get Peter and you'll hear a message from Peter. The angel did not bring the message. Verse 23. And so he invited them and, and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he arose and went away with them, and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied Peter. Now, this, there's a lot of wisdom in these two verses right here, a lot of wisdom. First of all, if people showed up at your door and said, an angel appeared to our boss or whatever and said, we were, we were supposed to come and get you and bring you to hear a message from you. Peter, being reasonable, said, okay, let's sleep, get some rest, get some food. We'll go in the morning. If you're... If you're not moving in, in wisdom, you might say, well, we've got to go now. I mean, this is God. Forget sleep. Forget eating. Let's go down. No. Peter was reasonable. So it's, it's wise to say, to do things like that. Be, God is not displeased that Peter didn't leave right then and go. God was glad that they used wisdom and got some sleep and got something to eat, and they left the next morning. See? It's so cool. And also, he brought some friends with him. That's also wisdom. He's not by himself. He brought some brothers with him. So it's also good to travel not alone. Okay, so it's just, I like the, seeing the wisdom of God because sometimes you get too super spiritual and you go, oh, hey, God told me I've got to do this. So, so you, people will do something right then and, they, and at, at great pain and suffering and hurt to them and other people. And, and they may be right that, yeah, God said do it, but use wisdom. Get some sleep. Get some food. Do it tomorrow. You know? Okay. And then it says verse 24. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea. The following day, here's Peter and the entourage. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. His family and his close friends were in the house. And when it came about that Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. Oh, but Peter raised him up quickly and said, stand up. I too am just a man. See? So it's really easy for people to to honor us because we are bringing the word of God and supernatural things happen around us like angels tell, us, tell them to go get us and that kind of stuff. But Peter was very fast to say, I am just a man. You know, don't worship me. Okay. Then he goes, verse 27, and as he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. He walked into this house and all these people, are, the house is full, relatives and friends of, of Cornelius. And he says, He said to them, you yourselves know how it is unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. It is against the law for me to be in this house, is what he was saying. You guys are all Gentiles, and it's it's unlawful for me to even be here. 
And yet, and this is another very powerful, powerful line in the scripture here that's given to us. It said, Peter says, Yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Now I'm going to ask you this. Has God shown you? Has God shown you by revelation? Do you really know this? Has God shown you, like he showed Peter, that you, that you should call no person unholy or unclean? Powerful. Ponder that. Think about that. It changes the way you present the gospel. God has shown me, Peter said, God has shown me that I should call no man unholy or unclean. And before that, God said to him, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And the reason why the, the, the sheet came down with the four corners and had all the unclean animals in there, the four corners speak of the four corners of the world. The whole world has been cleansed. The white sheet speaks of righteousness. The whole world has been cleansed by God in Christ. Those that, that the Jew thought was unclean, the, Jew, the Gentile especially, Jew and Gentile alike have been totally cleansed by the work of Christ. Totally cleansed. So we must, the two words here to, to, think, to look at is, God says don't consider them unholy. Don't consider them unholy because I've cleansed them. I've sat down on the right hand of the majesty on how my work is finished. My work was for all men. I tasted death for every man. I sat down. It is a finished work for all men. The whole world has been cleansed. I'm not going to die again for, those, for some other group. It's done. The whole world has been cleansed. So the word consider is very important. Don't consider anybody unholy or unclean. And don't call them unholy or unclean with your words. So don't think about it as them being unholy or unclean, and don't speak about it as if they're unholy or unclean because God has cleansed them all. Now, this will change the way you present the gospel. Now, this, a lot of people can't do this because they, they just, you know, they're like, I just can't do that, man. They, they deserve judgment. They, they, I want justice for so-and-so. I, I want them to be judged. Well, truth is they will be judged if they don't believe. Leave that to God. But God has cleansed the world. The whole world has been cleansed. He's done it. Jesus said, if you believe on me, you will not die in your sins. But he also said, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. So the issue is whether you believe or not believe on what God has done. So if we believe on him, we will not die in our sins. And the work of Christ was in vain for those who don't believe. That's why he wept over Jerusalem. He goes, I would. He goes, I would, but you would not. But if those, those who believe... They enter into a salvation. As Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will not die in your sins. The scripture says in John 16 that the Holy Spirit is given to convict of only one sin. There's only one sin that remains. This is so cool. Think about this now. This is how God looks at people now. Sin has been taken away. The Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. God doesn't see men as whole, unholy and unclean anymore. He sees, he's reaching out. He stretches forth his, his arms all the day long, the scripture says. The only sin that remains, John 16 says, the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin. What's the sin, Lord? Because they believe not on Jesus. That's the only sin that remains. It is the unpardonable sin. It is the one sin that is, there is no forgiveness for in this world or in the world to come, Jesus said. And the reason why it's unforgivable is because the only way you can get your sins forgiven is you believe on him who took away all sins. So if you don't believe in the one who took away all your sins, you're still in your sins. 
So that is the one sin in essence. So God's not looking at individual sins like adultery, murder, lying, all that stuff. It's not about all that anymore. It's not about that. He's removed all sin from the earth. See how God sees. It's all been removed. There's only, thing, only, only one thing remains is to believe on Jesus. And those who don't believe on Jesus end up being the goats in the parable. And those who believe on Jesus become the, the, the sheep in the parable. The goats and the sheep will be divided in the end of the world, the scripture says. And the goats will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and the, the sheep will. But it's not about how good they are. It's who they are. They're either goats or they're sheep. They're not sheep that are really good sheep and they're bad sheep on this side. No, they're either goats or sheep. They're goats or sheep. It's it's not a matter of doing. It's a matter of who they are. The Lamb's Book of Life doesn't have works in it. It has names in it. See? Now, the other books have works in it. The other books are open. to If your name is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if your name, if who you are as a son and daughter of God because you have believed is not found in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Scripture says the other books will be open. And then the works are revealed so they can see, everyone will see that they could never be righteous enough, never be good enough. And they are thrown into a lake of fire, the Scripture says. You know, at the great hurt of God and pain that God gave His Son for them. But this is, this is what is so powerful, saints. If we, we've got to see, we've got to see how God sees people. That he has already cleansed everybody. And believing is not a meritorious act. By, by that I mean, believing doesn't get you a pat on the back. Just believing that God has forgiven you, is, there's no merit in that in and of itself. That's why the scripture says it had to be by faith so it would be in accordance with grace. See, it had to be by faith so it could be in accordance with grace. So faith and grace go together. Faith is not a work. Paul said this. He said, we have not, we're not saved by a law of works, but by a law of faith. See, so he puts works and faith on two separate sides of the table. We're not saved by a law of works, but by a law of faith. See, there is a law to keep. And the law is the law of believing on Jesus, the law of faith. Paul called it the law of faith. Paul says, I've been sent to the nations to call the nations to the obedience of what? The obedience of faith. Not the obedience of good living and moral living. Not the obedience of being a good person. No, the obedience of faith. That's the call of the apostle, is to call people to believe, to believe on Jesus. He has done it all, but men must believe, and we call people to believe. Okay. Where were we? Uh, Verse, oh yeah. I love it. I'll read this again. God has shown me, Peter said, that I should call, not call any man unholy or unclean. Saints, really let that get deep in your spirit as you see people. Practice this in your heart. When you see people at the, at the mall, 7-Eleven, the gas station, you just look at them and say, wow, they're not unholy anymore. They're not unclean anymore. God has cleansed them all. If they only knew. If they only knew. If they only knew. If they would only believe, they could receive what is theirs. See? Look at every person like that. That's how God wants us to look at every person because he has done it. Peter says, God has shown me that I should call no man unholy or unclean anymore. Okay. Verse 29. That is why I came without even raising any objection, Peter said, when I was sent for. And so I asked, for what reason you have sent for me? So now Peter's... It's interesting that Peter, he's got this gospel... But he's still asking them, why did you send me? I want to know exactly why you sent me, okay? So then he goes, verse 30, and Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, 
Your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and invite Simon, who is called Peter, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Look how gentle Cornelius is. You've been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Mm, Awesome. They are here by direction of an angel to send for Peter for a message from God. They're in the house, and they are like open hearts, ready to receive whatever he says. It's awesome. Peter, opening his mouth, said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. See, starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed, the beginning of the last seven years. Verse 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen before him by God, that is to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Judge of the living and the dead because all who don't believe in him are already judged, the scripture says. But those who believe on him shall not be judged. Verse 43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, meaning the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can we? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few more days. Uh, So much to be said in those last passages. But notice the Spirit did not fall when he was just talking about Jesus' works, his miracles, and so forth. There was a moment when the Scripture says, when he said these words, the Scripture says when he says these words, the Spirit fell. The key words to speak, when you have the mindset of God toward people, knowing that God doesn't consider any man unclean or any man unholy, that he has done the work for everybody, the key word that brings the Holy Spirit is a simple word to to the person, if you will believe on this one, this Jesus. All the prophets bear witness, all the scripture bear witness. If you believe, you shall receive the forgiveness of all your sins. It's that word joined to faith which opens the heavens. And notice they did not confess anything. They didn't didn't say anything with the words. Why? Because Peter tells us later in the book of Acts chapter 15 when he had the council, the meeting in Jerusalem, he explained what happened with the Gentiles. And he said, God who knows the heart Back in that house, God who knows the heart, 
gave them the Holy Spirit without them even saying one prayer. They didn't do anything that the normal religious person would say. You have to do this. You have to say this. They they were just open heart because it already said, we are here to hear everything you have to say. I know this is from the Lord. So their open heart was there. As Peter spoke, it went right into their heart. There was no doubt. And when he said, if you believe on this one, you shall receive the forgiveness of all your sins. They went, yes, in their heart. They went, yes. And the Spirit said, yes. Isn't that awesome? It's so beautiful. It's awesome. This, This is the way God wants us to share the gospel. In the simplicity of the word of forgiveness. That's where it begins. Of course, it's much bigger than that, but let the Spirit take him to the rest. It's all about the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. That's the foundation of everything, of everything. And it's my meat and my drink every day. I eat of his flesh, I drink of his blood every day because I sin every day. I still mess up sometimes. But you know what? We're sinning less and less. We're walking in the flesh less and less because we're learning how to walk in the Spirit. But it's not a matter of, you know, sinning less or more. It's about believing, resting, Walking in the Spirit that His life can flow out. So as we remember every day the forgiveness that we have in Him, that He, that he does not count our sins against us anymore. That He does not count our sins against us anymore. Awesome power. So saints, be encouraged to see as God sees. Don't be like Jonah who want to see people judged or condemned because you're mad at them or something. Don't be... Like Peter, who had the mistaken idea that some people were still unholy out there. But hear the word of God. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy or unclean. And watch how you will approach people differently, speak differently with a different spirit. You won't have that Jonah kind of talk, but you'll have a a gentleness and you'll have an opening because they will sense acceptance. They'll open up to you more. And when you speak the word of forgiveness, watch what happens. Lord, thank you so much for teaching us these awesome things. What a great work. What a great thing happened on the cross. For it it was indeed the judgment of the world. Everything is different. Everything is different. Everything is different. Religion doesn't get it, but everything is different. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I bless my brothers and my sisters. Father, I pray that we would have such revelation this year that would be amazing. Bless our efforts to bring the Grace Conference and share the grace of God with other people. Help us bring many people to that conference. Help us lead us to bring the people that are ready to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.